Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. If you haven't subscribed already, would you mind doing that? Just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or Rumble. Click that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode, a single interview, or a single video that we produce just for you. Lots of content coming your way. There's a trend going around on social media right now. It's going viral on Twitter. It's going viral on Instagram. And I actually love it. Usually when we talk about these trends, it's because it's some poisonous trend, some toxic trend, or some dangerous trend that Gen Z is taking part in. Remember the Tide Pods thing? Yeah, usually it's something like that. This time, I'm I'm totally here for this trend. So anybody who's been a parent, especially young parents, but I kind of assume this is universal, that this is, whether maybe you had children 20 years ago, you probably experienced the same thing that uh, I am and that a lot of other young parents are experiencing now, where people will come up to you. This happened as early as pregnancy when we announced that we were having a baby, and people would, people would say, just you wait until you're not sleeping through the night. Just you wait until you never have a moment alone. Just you wait until the crying. Just you wait until the teenage years. And it's it's very negative. I remember my husband and I talked about it when I was pregnant because I thought people were very negative when they were discussing their own experiences with parenthood, parenthood relative to our impending experience with parenthood. But on social media today, there's a new trend that's uh, turning that on its head. It's a lot of people saying, wait a second, why are you being so derogatory about parenthood? And why are you being so demeaning to these little children, only focusing on the negative parts of, of parenting, only focusing on the parts that are challenging about having a little child? And so what people are doing on Twitter and on Instagram and on TikTok too, I believe, um, although as you know, I'm not on TikTok, <laughs> what they're doing is they're taking the negative part of the just you wait statements and they're talking about the moments that are really meaningful as parents. So I wanted to take part in this because I think this is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Parenthood is challenging, just like any other aspect or experience of life. There are moments that you are sleep deprived. There are moments that you don't have a moment to yourself. There are moments that, you know, your toddler isn't obeying. That's a challenge. Of course it is. But that's not, those aren't the moments that you remember when you're looking back on different stages. At least for me, it's not. That's not, I don't look back at the first three months of my daughter's life and the only thing I remember is how sleep deprived I was. I don't look back at, you know, when she was one year old and think, man, I never had a second to myself. No, I look back and see all of these fun and amazing and moving and touching things. So I wanted to add to this trend by saying, if you are a new parent or if you are an expectant parent or if you are planning on becoming a parent at some point, just you wait till the first time your baby. I remember this with my daughter. I was holding her. I was sitting on the floor. I just changed her diaper on the carpet. I was holding her in my legs. They were, they were, my legs were out in front of me and I had her in my legs. And it was the first time I was humming her a song and she smiled in reaction to it. And it just changed my world. I mean, it sounds like such a small thing. I know it sounds cliche for parents to say that, but just you wait for that moment. There's nothing on earth that compares to that moment. Just you wait until that little baby is a toddler and she starts singing songs on her own. Like babies babies sing, they coo, they babble a lot. But my daughter just started singing the real words to actual songs. So I'm like cooking in the kitchen. She's playing nearby in the living room. And I hear her while she's playing saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. And just 
I can't even describe my heart melted. I'm just a puddle on the floor. It's so beautiful. Just you wait for moments like that. When, you know, when my husband gets home from work, she rushes to the door like it's her favorite moment on earth, going, hi, Dada, hi, Dada. Just you wait for those moments. Those are the moments that you remember. Those are the moments you treasure. Those are the moments that are representative of the joy of parenting. I love this trend on social media. So if you're a parent, even if you had kids 25, 30 years ago, maybe you have a 10-year-old now, maybe you have a teenager, maybe you have a toddler, maybe you're an expectant parent, jump on social media and share your just you wait positive moments because this is a good, good thing. It's also, by the way, it is political in a sense because everything cultural is political and our culture has so demonized the family. It's so it's glorified selfishness that any inconvenience to adult lives, meaning, well, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, you're focusing on another person. You're not just focusing on yourself when you have a child. So of course that's quote unquote inconvenient sometimes, but we've so glorified selfishness that we've ended up being really derogatory towards the relationship between parents and children, which has led us to this point in our culture. So it's, it is a political activity because it's a cultural activity and it warms my heart to read everybody's story. So chime in. Like I said, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok even, um, anywhere this trend is going. So today on the show, what I wanna talk about is I actually have a video that I want to show you. A One of the most famous communists in our nation, and I'm not talking about somebody who just embraces a Marxist ideology, which is bad enough. I'm talking about an outspoken, self-avowed communist. The most prominent black communist in our nation, Angela Davis, found out that her ancestor um, was a white passenger on the Mayflower, and you gotta see this video. So let's get to it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So Angela Davis, if you're not familiar with this name, that's okay. I'm going to give you a background on her, and I think you will fully appreciate this video. Angela Davis is one of the most prominent communists in the United States. And I don't say this meaning, oh, well, our culture is being overtaken by cultural Marxism, this ideology that at its core is Marxist, even if those propagating it aren't aware that what they're propagating is Marxism. No, no. Angela Davis is a self-avowed communist. She was, in, she was an officer. She was in the upper echelons of the Communist Party of the United States of America. She is an open Marxist. She was a disciple of Herbert Marcuse in Germany and then followed him to the California University system here in the United States. So she's like a communist's communist. And there's a show on PBS that airs that, that takes relatively prominent people or even famous people, celebrities, and tracks their ancestry because 
who doesn't love to do that? It's become a trend the last few years with Ancestry.com and all those different sites to find out, well, what is your family history? We've kind of lost the art of keeping track of that ourselves. Um, there's so many generations now in the United States. It's interesting to see what our what our relatives, our distant relatives, our great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-great-grandparents uh, did, who they were, where they came from, what they did. So this show, Takes Famous People, does that tracking, that, that heritage study for them, and then presents the family tree to the, to the famous individual. Of course, they capture this on film. Angela Davis sat down, did this show, and finds out that um, her ancestors are not exactly who she not only thought them to be, but who she based her entire political ideology around. Take a look at this. Any idea what you're looking at? That is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. No, I can't believe this. No. My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. You, your ancestors came no. on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You no. are descended no, no, no. from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much <laughs> to deal with right now. Did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never. for this country. Never, <laughs> never, never. <laughs> There's no other word to describe this video except hilarious because Angela Davis is a communist, which is bad enough. She's a Marxist, which is a particular brand of communism. But more than that, when I said before that she was a disciple of Herbert Marcuse, Herbert Marcuse is the godfather of critical race theory. Angela Davis is a proponent of critical race theory, but remember when we were talking to Dr. James Lindsay a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how wokeism is an actual cult where there's three or four different layers of people in this cult. The people at the bottom who just carry the water, they parrot the ideology, but they don't, they don't know. They parrot the talking points, but they don't know what they're saying. They don't know the basis. They don't know they're Marxists. Then he said, then there's the, the people who um, are one step higher. They know, they've studied a little bit of the ideology, so they know maybe that it's a little bit Marxist, a little bit communist, but they don't, they don't really know why, they don't know who, they just are kind of, they're pseudo-intellectuals. And then you have the people who are at the very top. These would be the highest, the upper echelons of a cult, and they're the ones who know the truth. They know that critical race theory isn't just history. They know that critical race theory in schools is not a discussion of our nation's history as it pertains to slavery. They know that they're saying those things as lies to trick people into accepting critical race theory in our lives because they know that critical race theory is Marxism and their ultimate goal for our country is to turn the United States into a Marxist country. Those people at the, the highest levels of the woke cult, Angela Davis is one of them. She's one of the people who knows that critical race theory is not what Nicole Hannah-Jones is telling us it is. It's not just an accurate depiction of the evils of slavery in our country. It's not that at all. It is a Marxist theory intended to indoctrinate a population in racialized Marxism, in the cultural Marxism that takes Karl Marx's idea of pitting the, the working class against the ruling class and instead pits black people against white people with the goal being a revolution to impose Marxism on our country. So this woman is 
not is at the center, at the forefront of this entire racial divide, this battle in our country right now, which makes it even more funny because if you are looking through the lens of Angela Davis, then you're looking at everything through the lens of who is an oppressor and who is oppressed, right? The critical race theory idea that white people, even if they don't treat black people in a derogatory or demeaning way, even if they are proponents of equality under the law, they still benefit from quote unquote white supremacy because they were they their entire existence as white people today is built on the shoulders of the quote unquote white supremacists, the colonizers, the slave owners who came before us in our country's history. And Angela Davis is one of the biggest proponents of this narrative, but it turns out, sounds to me like she's one of the colonizers. She she created her whole career. She's a professor, by the way, at the University of California, Santa Cruz. She's created her entire career, her entire platform on this premise, on the premise that America's bad, that America's an imperialist nation, that America was is on stolen land, and that those who stole it were the white people who came to colonize it. The white people who she can claim as uh, as grandmom and grandpop there, <laughs> which is why I've watched this video a couple of times. Um, so a little bit more about, about Angela Davis. She's also a very bad person. Like this is not someone who just keeps her communist Marxist beliefs inside a university classroom. If that were the case, well, what is she among the majority of college professors now who preach communist and Marxist ideology in the classroom. No, she has actually lived out her communist ideology. Not in the sense that she's given away her possessions, not in the sense that she has not benefited from our free market capitalist system that embraces individual rights and not collectivism. No, no. Of course, she has benefited from that and taken full part in that. But she has actually um, been involved with violence in the name of communism, violence in the name of opposing the rule of law in our country, the rule of law that underpins the liberty and the freedom that we enjoy in our country. So in the 1970s, she was uh, she spent a year in prison because she owned firearms that were used in the murder, in a courtroom murder, actually, where a judge and three, three other people were murdered in that courtroom. And it was her guns, her firearms, that were used in the commission of that murder. Um, she also... By the way, this is this is not the only time that she has been involved in an anti-criminal justice, an anti-justice, really, it's not just criminal justice, an anti-justice movement in our country. She is a fierce proponent of abolition of police. So defunding police, as we know, is bad enough. Who does that hurt the most? It hurts communities where there are, there are high crime statistics. So the communities with the highest crime statistics right now are urban communities. They're, they're majority black communities. So black people are hurt the most by defunding police. She not only she not only supports defund the police, she wants to abolish the police entirely. So two, three weeks ago, we talked about the case of Tyree Nichols in Tennessee and how even though he was beaten by five police officers who were all black, the narrative coming from the left was those five black police officers, even though on all of the body cam footage, there was no evidence of any racial animosity or any racial element being involved in, in, in the beating of Tyree Nichols, that didn't stop the left from saying, well, they were acting as tools of white supremacy because policing itself, not police brutality, not, not brutality in the name of race, but just the idea of a police force is built on, on white supremacy. This is what the left was telling us. This, this is why when we were kind of laughing at first saying, oh, okay, these are five black police officers. How can they, how can they be a white supremacist? It makes sense through the Marxist lens because the Marxist lens is that the rule of law, 
Just the fact that we have laws on the books and that those laws are enforced by police officers, they maintain the peace, um, that is a white supremacist notion, according to the left. It's not. Of course it's not. But in order to indoctrinate the country in their Marxist beliefs, they have to first undermine the rule of law. And this is where we get back. I know this is kind of intellectual, kind of nerdy, but it's also why this video of Angela Davis is so funny. The critical theories that came out of the Frankfurt School, the Frankfurt School that whose original name was the Institute for Marxism, but they thought the, the Frankfurt School folks, they're the cadre of Marxists there, thought it was too controversial of a name. They wanted to be more subtle about inserting communism and Marxism into first academia and then our culture. Um, the, their critical theories are what's alive today, right? Critical theory is the grandfather of critical race theory. And the critical theories are exactly what they sound like. The premise of a critical theory is relentless criticism of a particular institution in order to decimate that institution. So that's what Angela Davis does. She has, she has engaged in relentless criticism of our police forces, of our prison systems, with the object of abolishing both of them of abolishing both of them. She wants to actually get rid of prisons. Like, can you imagine? What would the reality look like if we had no prison? Murderers, rapists, people who commit brutal assaults, terrorists, kidnappers, child sex offenders would what? Just be walking in our streets? They'd have to what, meet with a social worker every couple months? The, the idea of prison abolition is more horrifying than the idea of abolition of police because the people who are housed, who are incarcerated in our prisons have been convicted in a court of law by a jury of their peers of really heinous crimes. The narrative from the left is that we have over-incarceration, but that's not really true. If you look at the criminal records of the people who are incarcerated, they're pretty significant and they're pretty disgusting, the things that these people have done to fellow human beings and members of our society. And Angela Davis wants those people to be allowed back on the streets. Um, she calls the police system and the prison system, she calls that slavery. Why? To emotionally manipulate us into thinking that the slavery, the stain of slavery that our, that our country, that will always exist with our country because that is part of our history, that that is what police, that's the legacy of police. That's not, that's not true at all. She's also been associated, Angela Davis has been associated with Kimberly Crenshaw, who is the godmother of critical race theory, and Razmea O'Day, who is an anti-Semitic, um, an anti-Semitic murderer, actually, who murdered an American student in Israel in the name of the BDS, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction movement. Um, but this all brings us back to that video. Angela Davis is who she criticizes. She is who she vilifies, which is, I think we can all agree, absolutely hilarious. Now, there's a bigger part to this story because what she's preaching, critical race theory, she's not just a hypocrite. She's not just been exposed as the person that she's been vilifying. This ideology is not only embedded in our country, we all know that. Anybody who has kids at school, anybody who's in a, in a workplace, a corporation where you see this, you see this equity, you see this diversity, you see this inclusion, it's everywhere. And we're getting very, very close to the point where we might not be able to do anything to eradicate this from our country and our culture and our legal system if we don't take action now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so the kind of critical race theory that Angela Davis preaches, it's Marxism. She knows it's Marxism. She's she's a self-avowed Marxist. We know it's Marxism because we know how to study. We know how to read. We can see exactly what she's preaching and we take her at her word. So the kind of critical race theory that she's preaching is Marxism. And it's embedded into our society via DEI. We've talked about this a lot on the show. DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's not the way that you and I would define the word diversity as diversity of thought, diversity of experience. Equity is not equality, even though it sounds very similar. Um, And inclusion is not actual inclusion. It's the opposite of inclusion. It's not tolerance for uh, a diversity of viewpoints or lifestyles or value systems. That's how you and I might understand DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion if we defined it the way that these terms have traditionally been defined. But the left, and by the left, I mean Marxists, and which means communists, have redefined these words. Now, that's not only a facet of what it means to be a communist to try to obliterate reality, it's also proof that communists want to control our lives. They want to appoint themselves as the arbiters of truth to tell us actually what you think you know isn't true, but you have to take our word for it that what we now say the definition of diversity is, even though it differs from what you already knew, is the real definition of diversity. So it's a very it's a very mind-bendy, a very poisonous, a very tricky communist tactic. But DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I mean, diversity by the standards of the left is racism. Equity by the standards of the left is, is socialism and authoritarianism. And inclusion is actually religious persecution. So very, very evil stuff, very evil stuff. We know this. It is embedded into our nation at school, at the universe, in the university system, in workplaces, in hospitals, in healthcare, it's really becoming something that you can't escape, and it's about to get much worse. It's about to get embedded so deeply into our country that we, the American people, have no way to eradicate it. And I say this, I say this somewhat as a warning. I say this because we need to sound the alarm on this before it's too late, because we're at the point right now where at individual university levels, We could eradicate DEI if we wanted. We could say, listen, you're not going to get federal grants. You're not going to get federally subsidized student loans if you perpetuate DEI. We could do this if we had a Republican president. At the state level, we could get rid of ESG. We could have state legislatures and state treasurers do what Riley Moore did in West Virginia, for example. He's the treasurer of West Virginia, and ban investment firms that traffic in ESG, ESG being being what what enforces DEI, it's the enforcement mechanism of DEI, um, we could have states be prohibited from investing any taxpayer money with investment firms that that invest um, using ESG metrics. ESG metrics are that the social credit score that businesses are graded against. ES, and these ESG metrics are very far leftist. Um, political ambition. So if uh, if a company doesn't have DEI as part of their corporate structure, they would get a low score. If they 
if they support the um, UN's climate, cha- climate, agenda, or climate change agenda, then they would get a, a high score, right? So if, um, and if you get a low score, you might be denied access to capital, you might be punished by these investment firms. If you get a high score, then you get, a, then you get access to capital, you get lower, lower rates, you actually have access to, um, to the market. It's the enforcement mechanism, ESG is the enforcement mechanism of DEI, which is critical race theory, which is Marxism. It's a little convoluted, but it's important that we understand kind of the clear train of thought between what we see when we hear equity and how it not only goes directly to Marxism, but it is embedded into our nation and it's anchored there by this ESG stuff. Now, pivot over to the European Union for a second. And I know, the European Union. Well, what's happening over there doesn't always affect us. Sometimes it's a little hard to care about what happens so far away. But this, what's happening in the European Union right now, is about to impact us in a way that would not allow us as individuals, as university systems, as governors, or as state legislatures to get rid of ESG and DEI if we don't want it. Um, And by the way, we should laugh at Angela Davis because what what she said and what she found out and her reaction to it is just objectively hilarious. Like We should enjoy that. Mocking, by the way, ridicule is also a legitimate tactic for delegitimizing someone's ideology. And when it's a communist ideology, we should delegitimize it. But Americans are about to be duped into adhering to her communist ideology, and they're not even going to know about it. And it's, it's, so we have to pivot over to the European Union for a second, because this all ties together. So right now, there are two directives um, in the European Union. One took effect last December, uh, December of 20, or 2022, and one is under consideration in the European Union right now, and it, these, these directives govern, or one of them does and one of them hopes to, govern anyone doing business in the European Union. The first one um, is based on the size of the business. If the business has an enormous revenue, um, then they are subject to, they're subject to essentially ESG scores. They're subject to forced compliance with ESG, or they could, they could face penalties, they could lose business. But this new, this second, um, this second provision, and I want to bring up the exact name, is really, really much more significant than the first because it applies not just to big companies and not just to companies themselves that are doing business in Europe, but to what's called the value chain of, of a company that does business in Europe. So any, any, anybody tangentially associated with that business, whether it's a supplier, a distributor, um, uh, anybody associated with it would be forced to comply with this. So this new provision is called the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. I'm going to say that again. The Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, the CSDDD. And sustainability is your is your tip-off word there because sustainability is the word that the climate change alarmists use to pretend that their very Marxist political ideology, which they're trying to force on us all, is actually just to save the planet. So when you hear the word sustainability, it's not what you and I would understand to mean, or what, what we would understand sustainability to mean. It's a redefinition of the word, and it is your red flag to know that, oh, sustainability, that must be when the left is trying to push uh, Marxism, and they're using climate change as the disguise to cover the Marxism. That's exactly what this is. So um, what's happening in the European Union is there's a couple of different um, 
bodies within the European Union that deliberate or present policy and then the policy is voted on. It's, it's a much more convoluted process than our process in the U.S. government. Um, okay, so to understand exactly, this has to get a little nerdy for a second, but it's really important because it could, it could literally impact all of us sitting here watching and listening today, especially if we're business owners. But even if we're not the owner and operator of a business, any business that we work for here in the United States could be impacted without our knowledge by what's happening in the European Union. So the way the European Union works, it's obviously the union of a lot of the European nations. And there are, there are three institutions of the European Union that are important to talk about. It's the European Commission, the European Parliament, and the Council of the European Union. These three bodies are the ones involved in this effort right now. Now, the European Commission is the executive body. They propose policy, but they're not the ones that that actually vote on it. They just say, here's what I want, and then they send it to the parliament. Um, they send it to the parliament and the council. The parliament is representatives of the different European unions, and they they do vote on these, on these propositions. And the council, the European council, is um, national ministers, council members, or cabinet members, I should say, of your EU member states. So a little bit like the federal government of the United States with the two different houses and representatives, senators and representatives elected in different ways, um, but also, also a little bit different because it's the European Union. It's not just a one nation type of governing body here. So that's important because what's happened here is we have this corporate sustainability due diligence directive, which the parliament um, passed as a resolution. They already voted on this, and they asked the commission to formally propose a policy that could be voted on in detail, right? When this is voted on in detail, then it would be, then it would be a matter of, okay, give it an upvote or a downvote, and it becomes law in the European Union. Um, so what would happen under this, under this, this uh, CS triple D, is it would incorporate very extreme ESG metrics into law that would govern every business that, that operates within the purview of the European Union and their entire value chain. Now, value chain is a phrase that is a little bit, it's a little bit of a gray area because you might be thinking, well, is that a supply chain? What exactly is a value chain? A, a value chain is broader than a supply chain. It is anyone who is tangentially related to these business. It, um, it might mean any activity by the company. It might mean operations. It might mean business relationships. It might mean banking relationships, investments that the company has made. Um, and then it's it's sort of like direct, direct supply chain stuff to like suppliers and distributors, um, actual business partners, literally anybody that you do business with. So what this would do, this new, this new provision, CS Triple D, would require all of those businesses to adhere to very strict ESG-related metrics. ESG being the enforcement mechanism of communist DEI ideology done in the name of climate change. Now, this would impact American companies because we do business with Europe. We do tons of business with Europe. American companies are both the suppliers for European entities. They, they uh, import things from European countries for our businesses here. That would also be impacted. We are constantly trading with Europe. And so what would happen is European, European companies would be forced 
to either drop American companies who didn't adhere to these ESG metrics from being business partners, which would cause American companies, or the American economy, it would wreak havoc on American, the American economy, or American companies would be forced to toe the line to the ESG metrics that are coming out of the European Union. Now, like I said, this is a little bit different than the other provision that passed in December, which required um, businesses that were actively doing business within the European Union of a certain revenue to adhere to certain ESG metrics. This is much broader, much wider ranging, much more dangerous because it could impact any of us. Think about any, any company here, any company here in the United States. They probably have a branch, if it's a, if it's a medium size or a large company, they probably have a branch in Europe. If it's a small company and it's not just a mom and pop shop right here, maybe it is a mom and pop shop. Where do you get your food? Where do you get your, where do you get your products? Anything that touches the European Union would have to be screened for these ESG ratings. This is, this is I mean, it's a travesty for Europe for one thing. I mean, it's, it's awful to see what's happening to them. I know a lot of people might say, well, Europe elected these people. They're the ones that got into the European Union. So sorry, sorry about your luck. But that's, it's so much worse how it impacts us here because this is an actual way to bypass our democratic process. It's a way to bypass state legislatures, which are actively trying right now to ban ESG in the United States. It's a way to bypass our federal government our laws against this kind of this kind of Marxist uh, Marxist ideology and discrimination against anyone who dissents. This this was crafted in a way that knowingly will change the entire U.S. economy and remake it into a Marxist entity. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. So this really dangerous provision is under consideration right now in the European Union. Fortunately, all of these three bodies, the Commission, the Council, and the Parliament of the EU are not equally as radically leftist. They are not equally as compromised by this outright Marxism that uses ESG, environmental and social and governance metrics, as an enforcement mechanism for their Marxist ideology, DEI, equity, diversity, inclusion, critical race theory, queer theory, abortion. They don't use, uh, they're not all equally compromised. So the likelihood is that this will be watered down before it is officially passed. That's the hope. However, however, this is just a matter of time before something outside of the United States like this impacts the United States. If we, if, if this doesn't happen, let's put it this way. If this doesn't happen, 
if it is not passed in its current form, then we missed it by this much. And we're completely vulnerable to this. We have no defense against this. If this passes, it's too little too late for all of us. This is a very scary proposition because I'm acting like, okay, well, maybe it's gonna be watered down. Well, it might not be. I don't know that, that's my prediction, but it might not be because the European Union has been actively trying to force ESG on companies across Europe for the past two years. And they're not just trying to force it on people in Europe, they're trying to force it on the globe. They're trying to force it on the American people. They're trying to force it on our businesses and our jobs and our livelihood and our children and the fabric of our nation. And this is really scary stuff. This is really scary stuff. So there's a couple of things that need to be done to prevent this from happening. The first is this would require an act of Congress. This is not something that mere outcry can do. This is not something a corporate boycott can do. This is not something actually that state laws can prevent. The state laws that we have here in the United States against ESG, those are great. I support those. I think more states, all the states should should enact them, but they wouldn't do anything to stop this because it's not a matter of it's not a matter of those European companies investing here in the United States. It's a matter of those European com- co- uh, companies in Europe being forced to choose their business partners in Europe based on whether their business partners have um, an adequate ESG score. So it's not really an action that's taken here in the United States. It's an action that's taken in Europe that greatly impacts and harms businesses in the United States. So state-level laws here in the United States aren't going to stop this. And so we're just gonna sit back and we're gonna watch this happen. We're gonna watch our economy be destroyed and the ideology of our country become completely infested with the stuff that Angela Davis preaches unless an act of Congress prohibits this, unless the federal government, and this is the chief executive as well, it's not just the Congress, unless the chief executive says, listen, to the European Union, we are an integral part of your economy. You will collapse without us and you are not to pass something like this, or we will put severe trade sanctions on you that hurt you more than this ESG metrics provision will hurt us. And this is, by the way, I was talking this about this with my producing team, and I was laughing because I was like, this is actually where uh, Donald Trump would be extremely effective and extremely useful. It's these types of trade negotiations that are underpinned by ideology where Trump really excelled I can't think of a president actually who did a better job at this sort of thing than President Trump. Because if you had Joe Biden threaten the European Union, if he was like, come on, man, we don't wanna see that happen, no one would believe him. No one would take his word, no one, the European Union would just be like, okay, Joe, look, a squirrel. No one would care at all. And unfortunately, that's also true for a lot of Republicans. If you have some of these squishy establishment Republicans, um, if you had Mitch McConnell say to the European Union, well, we're gonna have to consider some some trade restrictions on you if you pass this, the European Union's gonna be like, don't you have a boat of money coming from China? Don't you have other corrupt things that you could be doing? They're not going to believe a lot of Republicans, but Donald Trump can make a pretty severe, almost a bombastic threat, and he'd follow through on it if he didn't get his way. One of the key, one of the key things, I learned this once in a negotiation book, but one of the, one of the most powerful tools in a negotiation is the willingness to walk away but it's also um, making sure that the person that you are sitting across from at the negotiating table understands that when you make a threat, you are willing to follow through, that your threats are actually credible, that you're not just, that you're not just full of hot air. And you know, criticize Donald Trump all you want, but this is what he did with China. 
China knew, Xi Jinping, he knew that Donald Trump didn't care, didn't care about, about establishment Republicans' criticism or fears of a trade war. Donald Trump would go to a trade war with China if China continued to manipulate their currency. This is, this is kind of the same situation. If we had a chief executive right now and a, and a bold Congress, we could prevent the European Union from doing this by leveraging the power of the American economy against them. That is our most powerful bargaining chip. That is our most powerful weapon, is the strength of the American economy. And the European Union is threatening that. We should not stand for that for a second. For a second. The fact that they would even float something like this should be punished. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Here in the United States, our economy is going to be wrecked, which means we're going to lose our jobs. Our livelihoods are going to be ruined. Our families are going to suffer. Economic havoc isn't just something that you see on a chart and a graph on TV. It's real. It's personal. It hurts our families, our loved ones, our children, our parents, our spouses. That's what's coming from the European Union if we don't put a stop to it. And in addition to the economic havoc, there's an ideology, an evil ideology inherent to this provision that wants to take advantage of the economic havoc that it will wreak and supplant our free market economy with a Marxist regime. We will all be forced to be what Angela Davis is if we allow the European Union to get away with this. All right, if you guys missed any of the other shows this week, you got to go back and watch them. We had some good ones this week. On Monday, we talked about that new Rasmussen poll um, that found that 47% of black Americans either don't think it's okay to be white or are not sure they think it's okay to be white, which is quite mind-boggling to think about. It's an extremely hateful viewpoint, and we talked about that. We broke it down. We also talked about the cancellation of Scott Adams, the creator of the Dilbert comic strip, because he's essentially proposing a national divorce, but by race. He doesn't think white people should get near black people, which is a very extreme thing to say. Go watch that episode for Monday. We break it all down. I think it's worth watching. On Tuesday, we talked about Dr. Fauci blaming us, blaming you for the reason why he covered up the lab leak theory, the COVID lab leak theory. Gaslighter of the year over there. He covered it up and suddenly it's our fault because he said we criticized the Chinese Communist Party and therefore that's why the Chinese Communist Party isn't transparent about the origins of COVID because they're defensive because we act suspicious. Yes, Fauci, it's our fault that you staged a cover up um, that also happened to benefit you because you were corrupt and the lab leak was your fault because you funded it, yeah. Um, on Wednesday, we talked about the reparations that are about to take place in San Francisco. $5 million per person for black people in the city of San Francisco. Even though, by the way, San Francisco, slavery was never even legal in San Francisco, but that's not stopping San Francisco from telling black people that they have been oppressed to the point that it justifies, apparently, the government in San Francisco to steal from white residents to give to black residents. Full breakdown there, don't miss it. And then tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to sit down with now presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy and talk about his announcement for president, his, his platform, what he stands for, and some of the criticisms that have been levied against him. You don't wanna miss that. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.